0: Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, uh, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Today I want to talk about something on the podcast that you might not think is directly related to ministry leadership, but I'm going to make the connection because, hey, it's my podcast. I want to talk about the responsibility we have as parents to raise adult children, and particularly adult sons. Now, if you also read my blog uh, and listen to my podcast, uh, both, you know that earlier this week I wrote a pod, uh, I wrote a blog called "A Man Card," and I talked in that uh, blog about. A recent experience I had of speaking at a conference, and I uh, saw a conference uh, seminar that was being taught at that conference entitled Don't Give Up Your Man Card. And so the whole premise of it was about teaching boys to be men and about what real manhood is and, and how to live responsibly in our communities as men. Well, I I thought about that and wrote about it a little bit, but I wanted to do even more on that same theme on the podcast this week. Then, after I was writing that blog, or at the same time I was writing it, I came across a news article that came out about a class being taught at UC Berkeley. Now, UC Berkeley is, of course, one of the most prestigious academic institutions in the world. It's one of the most influential institutions in California. Uh, it is, as uh, you also know, a hotbed of political and religious, excuse me, political and uh, uh, social turmoil, uh, lots of protests and other things on campus, and quite frankly, known as kind of a bastion for liberalism in California. I found it interesting, though, that they are teaching a class there this semester entitled "Adulting Adulting 101. And it's uh, described as a course to teach students how to live in the real world and function as an adult. Now, this class has been very popular. The first time it was offered, they only set it up for 30 students. Over 100 tried to register, so much so that they had to create a second section of the course. Now, this is quoting from the Cal website describing the class. It says, The school system does not require a class for students to learn how to live in the real world and function as an adult. As if the school system was ever supposed to have taught us that in the first place. This is what parents are supposed to do, is teach their children how to live in the real world and how to function as adults. Well, the website says, The school system does not require a class for students to learn how to live in the real world and function as an adult. We often enter college unprepared to take care of ourselves. Well, let me go off on that sentence for just a moment. We offer enter college unprepared to take care of ourselves. Again, why is that true? The school system wasn't supposed to teach a child how to take care of himself or herself. That was parents' responsibility. And then the course description goes on. The website continues. Many life skills, including how to develop good habits, manage stress, Manage our budget and spending or budget, our spending and income, live a healthy lifestyle are necessary, especially when college is the bridge to adulthood. This just cracks me up that they think college is the bridge to adulthood. High school is the bridge to adulthood. When you get to be 18 years old, you are legally an adult in this country and you are supposed to start acting like one. But no. Most people still think that college is the bridge to adulthood, and you're not really an adult until you're about 24, maybe even 26. It's the prolonged adolescence in this culture that I'm describing for you on this podcast that I'm speaking against, and I'm trying to challenge us to resist because this prolonging of adolescence into the mid-20s is damaging, particularly to our sons. Well, there's one more funny thing about this news article about this class, Adulting One Hundred and One. Uh, Well, actually two. The first is this. The class was equally divided between freshmen and seniors, which surprised me. But the professor said this, the seniors are in their last year and want to learn as much as they can before going out to the real world. This is part of uh, what concerns me about what happens on college campuses today, that they're perceived not to be the real world. Oh my goodness. College is supposed to get you ready for the real world? No, college is supposed to be the real world. And then one last thing about this news article that I found hysterically funny. The class will be graded on a pass, no pass standard. Now note that not pass fail, but pass, no pass, and certainly not a letter grade. Oh my goodness. Heaven forbid That a person be told that they had failed at something or that they made a C in a class. No, it's pass, no pass. This class just so underscores so much of what I tried to say in that little blog and so much of what I want to say on this podcast today. We have a problem in this country. It's called prolonged adolescence. And quite frankly, it's even a problem in the Christian community because we have developed a generation of Christian parents who... Hover over children, protect them at all costs, and see their responsibility as keeping their children from experiencing the pain and difficulty that will help them to grow up and become the adults that they really need to be. And Christian parents are no different than many other parents in the culture. When they get, their children get to be about 24, 26 years old and still haven't embraced adulthood fully, they wonder what they need to do to flip that switch. Listen, that switch should have been flipped at least 10 years sooner. So I want to talk about how to prohibit prolonged adolescence, how to do a better job of raising children, and particularly, I want to focus the rest of this podcast on how to help boys particularly become men. Now, I have a daughter, and I think I could do a whole podcast on daughters just as well, but quite honestly, I'm mostly burdened about the men in our culture and the absence of modeling about manhood and pushing boys to become men that I think is really undermining so much of what we want to do, not only in the culture, but even in the kingdom of God. Do you know that there are now more women under appointment by the International Mission Board than there are men, and that the women that are in the hardest places in the world are there. And we say, why? It's because even in our seminary, we see men lacking the confidence to step forward, take the risk, and go to the hard places in our world. So this is not just a cultural problem. It's a spiritual problem as well. So let me talk about what it means to push boys, help boys, lead boys uh, to grow to be men. First of all, a definition of manhood. Now, my wife... Uh, as most of you know, is an early childhood education specialist and knows more about children and preschoolers. In fact, she's forgotten more about children and preschoolers than I'll ever know. But when she had her, our, our children and had two sons, they were a mystery to her. In spite of all of her training and all of her teaching at church and all the other places she's worked, having two sons was a kind of a mystery because she had not grown up in a family that had any men present or boys present. Uh, my wife's father died when she was a child. She had no brothers. And so her formative years were really lived uh, just among women. And when she came uh, into marriage, I was a big adjustment for her, but that's a whole other podcast. But then when she had these sons, she was shocked at how different they were than her expectations of what they would be. And she was also surprised at the challenge they brought to her to help her understand or try to discover what do these boys need from me to help them become men? So my wife... Uh, developed a definition of manhood. She wrote this, A man is someone who takes responsibility for himself, his family, his church, and his community. For my wife, her definition of manhood revolved around the word responsibility. And it also revolved around a word that's not in the definition, and that word is service, because she wanted her boys to take responsibility for themselves, for their uh, family, for their church, and for their community, meaning that if they took responsibility, they would extend that responsibility by serving others and it not just being about themselves. Now, the challenge for many Christian parents, Christian moms, and the challenge for my wife was accepting that, accepting that definition and understanding that in order to implement that definition, she was going to have to stop coddling her sons. Now, I ran this blog and this podcast by my wife, and I asked her about that phrase, and she said, that is the exact phrase you should use. She said, I had to do this, and Christian women today, Christian moms today, have to stop coddling their sons. If they want their sons to take responsibility for themselves, their families, their churches, and their communities to grow to be real men, they have to make this hard choice. So, Let me give you 10 practical suggestions on this podcast. Some of these come from me. Some of these come from my wife to help you, particularly moms, but moms and dads both to help boys learn responsibility, help boys learn self-management, help boys learn how to serve others, help boys grow into men. Number one, give boys as much responsibility as they can handle. Now, I've said this so many times that a staff member at Gateway actually quoted me the other day in a conversation about this subject. Boys are like trucks. They handle best under a load. Boys are like trucks. They handle best under a load. Give a boy as much responsibility as he can handle and keep raising the bar that they might keep taking on more and more responsibility. My wife started giving our boys responsibility when they were six, seven, eight, nine years old and kept raising the game as they moved toward middle school. Giving boys responsibility means that you give them responsibility to make decisions about what they wear and what they eat. And you give them responsibility to make choices about uh, the sports they play and, and the activities they engage. You give them responsibility and you, you may have to limit the choices and say you can choose this or this or you can choose from these three. You do have a responsibility as a parent to prohibit them from making bad choices, but in the context of good choices, you give them responsibility for those choices and you let them learn to live with the consequences of what they've done. And you'll find that as boys have responsibility, they will be more manageable and as I said, handle better under a little load. Second, teach boys to take care of themselves and allow, by allowing consequences of failing to take care of themselves to fall on them. For example, teach boys how to cook. Teach boys how to wash their clothes. Teach boys how to manage their money. And you say, oh, I'm going to do that when they get in high school. No, no. You teach boys how to cook and wash their clothes and manage their money when they are about 10 years old. From 10 to 12, 10 to 14, those are when those skills are learned. It used to always amaze uh, my friend's uh, the 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 friends of my sons when they would come to our house and my sons would say hey are you hungry well boys are always hungry and my sons would go in the kitchen and whip up nachos or put together sandwiches or say let's you know get get out some fruit or something and just whack it up and hand it out and they'd say man Casey you know how to cook or Caleb you know how to cook and they're like well yeah this isn't really cooking this is just putting together some food you know my boys hadn't had how to do that because their mother taught them how to do it pushed them to do it. And in fact, encourage them to do it. Same thing on their clothes. Uh, Same thing on their money. Uh, Teaching them to manage money, set up a budget, structure their finances. We started doing that when our kids were in sixth grade. And by the time they were in middle school, they were already managing a lot of the resources they had to be responsible for. And you say, but how do you get them to really take the responsibility and care for themselves? Well, you let the consequences fall on them. If their responsibilities make their own lunch and they forget to do it and they go without a lunch the next day at school, you don't run it down to the school so my baby won't be hungry. You let the kid go hungry, it's not going to kill them. They'll remember the next day, man, I don't want to be hungry again. I got to remember to pack my lunch. I got to remember to put my lunch in my backpack. Same thing on things like favorite clothes. My sons would say, hey, I want to wear a certain thing. We'd say, well, you would better be sure it's in the laundry or better be sure it got washed. Or if they say, well, you know, why didn't this get clean? Well, because you, you didn't wash it or you didn't put it in the laundry. That's why it didn't get clean. And no bailouts. This is something that parents have a struggle with, but you teach boys to take care of themselves by t- showing them how to do things like cook and manage their clothing and take care of their money. And then when they don't, You let the consequences fall on them. Listen, if you make the lunches, but your kid is responsible to pick up that lunch from the refrigerator and put it in their backpack and they fail to do that, don't rush that lunch down to school. (laughs) Let them go hungry. Next day, they'll learn. Let them take care of themselves and let the consequences fall on them. Number three, turn off the electronics and send your boys outside to get dirty. Now, another Jeff Orgism about raising boys is a boy can't become a man in clean clothes. Now, my wife's a, uh, how do I say this nicely? My wife's kind of a clean freak. I mean, she keeps the house clean. She's always washing the dishes and putting up the clothes and, and you know, sweeping and mopping. And, and I love living there because, man, the place is awesome. But my wife had sons, and my sons are not neat freaks. Uh, they would go outside and play and get dirty and play sports and get grungy, and, and, and they smelled bad a lot of the time because of that. And my wife was like, oh, my goodness. Why are boys so messy and why are boys so dirty? And I would remind her because they're trying to turn into men. They got to test their limits. They got to try some things. They got to go some places that uh, just require them to get dirty and get smelly. Turn off the electronics and send boys outside. That means they're going to dig in the mud. That means they're going to crawl under cars and get greasy. That means they're going to play sports and get smelly. That's how boys learn to test their limits and they take on more responsibility because they've taken on more risk. Number four, allow boys to play loud, rough, and messy. Now, one of our family's favorite stories was when my wife finally uh, learned this lesson. Now, please don't think, oh, Jeff's talking about Ann too much, or she's going to be mad when she hears about it. My wife tells these same stories in her leadership conferences on parenting. So these are all things we've lived through together and we, we, we talk about. So one day, um, my son and his uh, best friend, Tyler, were out in the front yard playing basketball. They are about 11, 12 years old. They got their shirts off. They're in their shorts. And, I mean, they are, they are going hard at it one-on-one. They're slamming into each other. They're throwing shots, shots up from all over the court. Um, you know, they're rebounding, they're throwing elbows, they're screaming, they're yelling, uh, are and they are a sweaty mess. Okay. Now I pull up in my car and I get out and they both stop the game. Hey, how you doing, dad? How you doing, Mr. Origin? I'm like, I'm doing great guys. Great to see you guys. And looks like a fun game. Yeah, we're having a great time. And so they go back to the game and I go in the house. Um, our house had kind of a split entry. So there's a stairway. As soon as you step inside, you can go up or down. I, I step inside the house and I look up the stairs and my wife is standing at the top of the stairs and Anne says, I want you to go out there. And I want you to tell your son that if he doesn't learn how to treat a friend, he's not going to have any friends. They're out there yelling at each other. He's slamming into him. They're they're throwing elbows. I'm looking out the window and I'm seeing all this, and you've got to put a stop to it, or he's not going to have any friends. And I thought, wow, okay. About the time Ann finished saying that, the door flies open. The boys rush in the house with their arms around each other, look up the stairs and say, hey, Mom, you got anything cold to drink? And my wife Ann looked down the stairs at me and just said, boys, and just stomped down the hall and closed the bedroom door. My, son's, my, my son and his friend turned and looked at me and said, what, 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 what just happened? And I said, fellas, don't worry about it. Let's just get some juice. We go in the kitchen, poured up some juice. They drained it down, went back out in the yard or back out in the driveway and went back to banging each other and playing basketball. My wife and I later talked about it, and she said, I don't understand, boys. I don't understand why they're so loud and they're so rough And, and, and they, they just bang into each other and they say things to each other that I can't even believe. And then they come in the house with their arms around each other saying, we're something cold to drink. I don't understand boys. I said, and listen, I get it, but you got to understand that boys like to play loud and rough. And that doesn't mean they're not friends or that they, that, that there's anything wrong. That's just the way they often play with each other. And if you're going to see these boys grow up, you got to let them learn how to deal with other men who treat them like this because that's the way it's always going to be as life unfolds for them. All right, number 5. You want to help boys become men, send them out with men to do man things. Now what do I mean by this? Well, men uh, do things. We we cut wood. We hunt, we fish. We go to ball games. I go to car races. I I do things that, that, that men just like to do, and my wife would encourage my boys, hey, you need to go with your dad, and the boys would sometimes like, well, really? I don't want to go with my dad. You're going with your dad, and yet when they went, they oftentimes uh, would come back and say something really positive about the experience or the time we spent together, and sometimes the guys would just want to go. One of the best examples of this was when we planted the church in Oregon, my oldest son was just five years old. My youngest son was just like uh, six weeks old. But my, my five-year-old wanted to go every Saturday night to set up. He wanted to go up there and set up the chairs, roll out the carpet. He wanted to go be a hands-on participant in making church happen. Now, we didn't know it at the time, but my oldest son has always been a guy who learned best by doing uh, he's the guy that would that would that would that would rather figure something out than read the manual about it. We didn't know that when he was five, but we knew that he always wanted to go. Now this was a problem because setup was often late on Saturday night after his bedtime, even. But we made the decision that you know, uh, most times if he wants to go, he's going because he, what he really wanted to do was go be with me and with the other men who came to set up, and oftentimes he was the only boy there because it was late at night and that kind of thing, and. Not always, other times other dads brought their sons, but most of the time he was only one there. And that made him feel like, I'm one of the men. And not only that, uh, I'm part of putting a church together. And I'm part of rolling out carpet and setting up chairs and figuring out how this is all going to work because that's what men do. We take care of stuff like this. So send boys with men to do what men do. Number six, facilitate boys making their own money rather than giving them money. Now, this may seem like more of a hassle than it's worth, but believe me, it's not. Uh, both my sons, uh, I got good stories on both of them about this, but when Casey, my oldest son, was in middle school, I bought an old pickup truck for 600 bucks, bought some lawn equipment that we had, and I bought some additional lawn equipment and loaned him out some of what we owned, and Casey started a lawn mowing business when he was about 13. And in middle school, uh, he mowed yards every weekend and in the summer on other days as well. Now he's 13, 14, he has to be driven to all these jobs. So either my wife or I would drive him over there and I'd take a book or my wife would take some work to do and we'd sit in the truck and he would mow and trim and take care of his business and then we'd take him to the next job. And I spent uh, many a Saturday taking my son to these lawn mowing jobs. And quite honestly, sometimes I thought, man, it'd be easier just to give him the money, but it wasn't the best thing to do to give him the money. It was part of turning a boy into a man, that I sat and watched my son mow yards and drove him to the next yard and drove him to the next yard uh, so that he could learn how to make his own money and manage his own money and take responsibility for himself. And today, my son still owns a business, and he, in college, started another lawn business, and he's always had that kind of bent because he learned early on that you could make your own money, and by doing that, you could really... Uh, be responsible for yourself, and make a difference in the lives of others. Now, my son Caleb had a little different perspective. He was in high school. He got a job. He's a pretty frugal guy. He saved all the money he made in high school from his jobs and, uh, uh, and was able to do some investing and other things with that when he graduated, which was great for him. But the point of the matter is both boys learned early on that they could make their own money, they could manage their own money, they could do things with their own money, they could even make a difference with their own money, And it would have been so much easier some days for me to just give them the money, but I was not trying to finance their future. I was trying to give them responsibility and a perspective on responsibility. And you do that by facilitating boys making their own money. And I think about even Caleb before he was old enough to drive you know, he was at the seminary up in Mill Valley when we lived on campus, and we always hired extra workers in the summer for maintenance to, you know, just do the extra stuff that has to be done when school's not in session. And uh, our maintenance guys hired him to work on their crew uh, for a couple summers. And that kind of work, even before he could drive, gave him a sense of, hey, I can do this on my own, and it gave him that sense of responsibility. Well, number seven, another way to help boys learn responsibility and grow into manhood is to let them make hard decisions. For one of my sons, it was uh, the decision of where to go to college. Uh, it was a tough one. He, Caleb was accepted at uh, some good, uh, some really prestigious schools, and he was accepted uh, at schools closer to our home, and he was also accepted at University of Oregon. Now, that's a solid school. I don't mean it's not, but it was a long way from where we lived. It wasn't a Christian school. It, it lacked some of the prestige that some of the schools did that accepted him for admission. and. And yet he was riveted that God wanted him in Oregon. And he went there, and it turned out to be the greatest decision ever. Of course, he met his wife there. He got two degrees from there. He met his business partner, and the company they started originated out of that uh, relationship. And so everything from that decision on has worked out in a really positive way for him. But It was an agonizing decision. And honestly, I I had a lot of questions about it and, and even some doubts about it. But I knew he had to make the decision because he had to live with the consequences. And fortunately, in this case, it turned out he was right all along. But I really admired him for working through the process and making the courageous decision that he did. And then one of the hardest decisions that my oldest son ever made was when he was about 12 years old, we had a dog. It was his dog. He had always wanted the dog. We got a dog. Unfortunately, uh, we got this dog from the uh, from the rescue, uh, you know, pound. And and while the dog was great in a lot of ways, it had some chronic medical issues. And we went to the vet, spent a lot of money on that. And uh, finally, the vet said one day, uh, you know, this dog has some chronic uh, medical issues that, that aren't going to be solved. And the dog is really miserable and suffering. And and uh, honestly, the dog really needs to be put down. Now, that was a hard day. So, my son and I uh, went out, to, uh, went home to talk about it. And uh, we, we spent some time with the dog and we spent time talking about what that meant. And, and he said, Dad, I, I know what needs to be done. So, uh, I called and made the appointment the next day. We'd take the dog to the vet. So, we took the dog down to the vet. And we got out of the car, and my son turned to me, and he's 12. And he said, Dad, this is my dog. I, I got this. And uh, I still brings a little tear to my eye today to tell you this. He he walked that dog into that vet's office, went back in the treatment room, was back there for a little while, and then he came out alone to me and said, uh, I'm ready to go now, Dad. And I knew that day my son took a huge stride toward manhood because he made a hard decision, took total responsibility for it, and looked me, uh, his dad, right in the eye and said, I got this. And I knew that day that I had a young son that was becoming a man right in front of my eyes. Well, another step, number eight, is let boys fight their own battles. This is hard, but it's something you just have to do. You can coach your boys on how to fight their battles. You can support them while they fight them, but they got to fight their own battles. I remember one day when one of my sons had to go see a coach about an issue he was having. And we talked it through, and I felt like the coach was treating my son unfairly, but I thought my son was probably doing some things wrong, too, that I didn't know about. So I tried to be as objective as I could, and I told my son, I'll support you 100% until we get to school, but then I have to sit in the, in the hallway. You'll have to go into the meeting. He said, I understand that, Dad. It's my deal. So I took my son up to the school, and he went in to talk with the coach, and that was a hard day for me because I had to let my son fight his own battles. I know from being a coach how many parents don't let this happen. I've had many conversations with moms and dads in Little League all the way up through Senior League coming to talk to me about how their baby was being mistreated and how their son needed to be treat, uh, handled differently and how he had special needs or special interest or needed this special attention. And what I wanted to say every time was, first of all, you don't know the whole story, and second of all, why don't you send your son to talk to me? This is an opportunity for a boy to become a man by learning to talk to someone and fight their own battles. Let your sons learn to fight their own battles. And then a hey, number nine, let boys bear their own consequences. When boys do something wrong, let them bear the consequences. Man, I have story after story after story of my sons doing things that weren't right, and when they were discovered, they had to solve the problem. You often say, well, how do you discipline your sons, especially when they get to be too old to spank and too old to ground? Well... You let them handle their own consequences. You let them pay for things they break. You let them go and apologize to people they've offended. Uh, You (laughs) let them take care of their own business. And you may have to drive them there and support them in doing it, but you don't bail them out. And then last, number 10, as boys get older, learn to treat them like men, not like boys. And learn to treat them like men, not even like sons. We're very fortunate in our family. We have a young man named Lance, and Lance, if you listen to the podcast, congratulations, you made the podcast. We have a young man named Lance who's been important in our family for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons that he doesn't even know is that uh, sometimes when my boys were in their 20s and my wife would say, I really need to talk to the boys about this, or I think somebody needs to talk to the boys about this, or I feel like I need to ask about this, or bring this up to my boys. I would say, now, Ann, would you ask Lance those questions? And she knew what I meant. She'd say, no, I'd say, all right, well, your boys are, are are your sons, but they're also men now. They're like Lance. We don't ask him about his personal business, and we're not going to ask our sons about theirs. If they want to talk to us, they'll talk to us. Now, this is so hard. It's hard for dads, but it can be even harder for moms. Your son gets into his 20s. He's a man now. He makes his own decisions, and he needs to bear his own consequences, and he doesn't need you ask him about his personal about his personal business. If he needs to talk to you about it, he will. This is hard, but it's the final big step in turning boys into men, and that is treating them like men and not like boys, especially when they get to adulthood. Well, this may be so far off the subject that some of you turn this off before you can get to the end, but if you listened all the way to the end, I want to say that uh, being a parent has been one of the most fulfilling things I've ever been through in my life. It's one of the most meaningful relationships, and man, my sons and I have a good relationship today. It's not a perfect relationship. I'm definitely not a perfect father, and they've definitely not been perfect sons, but through it all, we got more right than we got wrong, and we have a good relationship today, and part of the reason for that is because my wife joined me early in their lives of really purposefully and intentionally turning our boys into men by recognizing that we did not want to have the problem of prolonged adolescence, that we wanted, if anything, to push our boys to grow up faster rather than slower. And I give a lot of credit to that for my wife and my hands have been in on it along the way as well. So if you're a mom or a dad of boys today, don't listen to the culture. You don't want a 24 to 26-year-old boy in your family. You want a man. And in order to get there you've got to start when they're about six, eight years old pushing them toward independence, letting them fight their own battles, taking responsibility for their own choices, bearing their own consequences, learning responsibility and going out of your way to teach them responsibility every way you can. And it'll be painful for them and frankly it'll be painful for you some days. It's hard to watch your sons become men because it's a painful process. But when they get to their 20s, you're going to be oh so glad you did because you'll have men, not boys, that you can relate to at that time. Well, Man Card was the vlog. The podcast is about preventing prolonged adolescence, especially among young men. Let's work together on it as we lead on.